Lord, we, we believe. We've sang these truths, we've prayed these truths, we've declared these truths in our creed, a creed that we have been confessing as your people, the body of Christ, for 1,700 years. We believe, I'm reminded of what Mike said at the beginning of this service, in the gospel guarantee. I pray, Lord, as we reflect on what it is to believe in you, the Son of God, I pray, God, that you would speak. I pray, Lord, that confusion, perhaps, that, that, that these high things would be brought low, God, and um, Lord, we, we cannot fully wrap our minds around this truth of the Trinity, but I pray that the implications of this would speak into us and that you would continue to clarify. I pray that all of us here just be able to take one step, not just in understanding today, but in action. That the truth of who you are, the Son of God, would do something in us and through us. So we give this time to you. That is a big ask, and you are a big God. We look forward to how you will teach us. In your name we pray. Amen. This morning, I'm going to be talking about this second part of our declaration as we look at who Jesus is. And before we get to that, to me, as I've been thinking about what, what this means for us, seems to me that this part of the declaration speaks in to that moment. Have you ever had a moment when you just can't? When you just feel like, I just can't. Right now, Brianna and I, we have um, a new puppy, Golden Retriever. I seem to have this moment every day for a few moments. Um, the puppy has not figured out yet how to potty train. And so it's just like, uh, he, he, she just, we, we think she's got it, and then she'll just like, the other night I was up late, uh, and I was sleeping, and I woke up on the couch, and she's sitting right in front of me, and just, doing her thing. I just felt like I just can't. And for her, I think for her, it's a moment of when you just don't, okay? She can, but sometimes for us, maybe it's not a I just can't, it's more of I just don't. You know you should do something, you know you should live in a certain way, but you just don't. And as silly as it is thinking about our dogs or my dog potty training, for many of us as we think about life, we get into these moments where sometimes we just can't or we just don't. Perhaps it's related to your marriage. You feel like, I just can't anymore. Perhaps it's related to your, your children. And it's like, what more do I have to do or your job? Or maybe just waking up in the morning, just thinking, I, I just can't. Or maybe there's some habits. In CR, we talk about hurts, habits, and hangups. And maybe it's not that you just can't, it's that you just don't. Seems to me this part of the creed as we confess who Jesus is, it's going to speak into us in those moments when you just can't or when you just don't. We confess to get today together, we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, 
the only Son of God. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe this speaks into each of us and into those moments when we feel like we just can't. This creed that we're looking at called the Nicene Creed comes from 1,700 years ago in 325 A.D. You see, the church at that time was wrestling with who Jesus is. And they were having all of these debates, and there was this emperor named Constantine. And they had been living in persecution. They had been martyr after martyr. And Constantine came to believe in, in, the, in, in, in Christianity and came to confess this and, and started to turn the tables and actually came to this, what we would call Christendom. Where, where, where following Jesus was, was encouraged, if not mandated. And in this, as, as people, thinkers in the church, leaders in the church, were wondering, what does it mean when we say we believe in God the Father and Jesus the Son, how do those interact? How does that relationship work? And there was this guy named Arius. And Arius, as he's trying to understand, as he's reading and studying the scriptures and some of the scriptures, the very scripture that we read today, he came up with this point when he, as he was trying to understand who Christ was, he said, there was when he was not. In other words, he came to this conclusion that when it comes to Christ, there was a time when he was not. He was created. He was born of God, begotten. And this is what people would call the Arian controversy. It's been a debate that has been happening in the church for thousands of years. And so they got this council together called the Council of Nicaea to deal with this controversy. To help us as people of God, as we study God's scriptures and we, we try to understand these high transcendent things that are given to us where creatures are trying our best through the revelation of God to articulate categories that exist outside of our own understanding. All we have are his words. And so he brought in the council of Nicaea Historian Justo Gonzalez says this about this moment. There were all of these leaders in the church from all over that were coming together to deal with this controversy. And they, it says this In order to see this moment in the perspective of those who were there coming together to talk about this controversy, it is necessary to remember that several of those attending the great assembly had recently been imprisoned tortured, exiled, and that some bore on their bodies the physical marks of their faithfulness. And now, a few years after such trials, these very bishops were invited to gather at Nicaea, and the emperor, Constantine, covered their expenses to do so. Many of those present knew of each other via hearsay or through correspondence, but now, for the first time in the history of Christianity, they had before their eyes physical evidence of the universality of the church. 
And they had this moment where they developed a creed that we just confessed earlier in the service. And as we dig into this, as you've been doing the reading plan and thinking through this, I'm gonna try my best to help divide this and explain this, but I want you to understand here. Once again, we're talking about things of God. We are the creatures doing our best to describe the creator. Tozer says this, when we try to imagine what God is like, we must of necessity use that which is not God as the new material for our minds to work on. Hence, whatever we visualize God to be, he is not. For we have constructed our page out of that which he has made, and what he has made is not God. If we insist upon trying to imagine him, and we end with an idol, made not with hands, but with thoughts, and an idol of the mind is as offensive to God as an idol of the hand. So we want to understand what it means when we say we believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but they're all, they're, it, there comes to a point when we just confess that there are some things that are mysterious that are hard to describe and explain. Yet we can still think through the implications and the truths of them. So the first thing we want to understand in this creed, especially that we learn from John 1, as we confess who Jesus is, is we want to understand that he is eternally begotten of the Father. Eternally begotten of the Father. We use the language here for eternally. Existing in all times, never had a beginning, never has an end. And yet there's a paradox here because we say eternally begotten. Those seem to be in conflict of each other. What do we mean when we're using this language that he is eternally begotten? Well, look at what it says in John 1. It says, in the beginning. Right there in this prologue to John, we see the word in the beginning. This should hyperlink you back to Genesis 1 in the creation account. When God creates the heavens and the earth and he speaks in to existence and we talked about this last week and we see all the power and all the might and all the majesty of God. And John tells us something. He says, at that moment, in the beginning was the word. This word for word is logos. I would encourage you, if you haven't studied this, go spend some time in Google on this or in commentaries on this and what it means when it says the logos. Just a little extra credit. We know that God spoke in creation. It says that his spoken word created. And we know in this text that the word is talking about Christ. So it says in the beginning was the word. It's talking about the son of God. And this word at that moment in creation was with God. So Christ existed before the incarnation, before our Christmas celebration. He was there existing. He didn't start in existence. He existed with God. And here's the mind-blowing piece that's hard for us to understand. Not only was the word with God, the word 
was God. You confused yet? This is where we confess the Trinity. We believe in one God, three persons. This seems to be throughout Scripture. One God, three persons. And in our creed, it helps us to kind of synthesize what this means. What do we mean when we say that Christ is eternally begotten? Does that mean that he was born of God? No, when we say eternally begotten, it has to do with this relationship of the Father and the Son, of Christ coming from God eternally being begotten. The creed explains this. It says, Jesus is God from God, light from light, true God from true God. Circle that word from. Eternally begotten. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, not less than. This is important. He's not less than, but part of who Christ is, the Son of God, is this eternally begottenness that is incredibly important to the gospel that we sing and we proclaim. And so we see that he existed eternally begotten of the Father. We hear this in the declaration of the most famous verse in the Bible. You see this when you watch it on football, uh, football games. It's John three sixteen, right? It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only uh, son. In other translations, it'll say his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now maybe you're confused here, you say, but we are children of God. This word for only is important for us to understand the uniqueness of Christ the Son. The uniqueness of the Son of God, when we confess the Son of God, it's a little different than our confession as children of, children of God, adopted children of God. This word for only here is a Greek word called monogenesis. And it's pertaining to what is unique in the sense of being the only one of the same kind or, or class. The eternal begottenness of the Son is unique. Any card collectors here? Anyone collect cards? In cards, the, the more valuable the card, it'll say it'll be one of 32. That's a really valuable card. One of 100, one of um however many, we would say Christ is one of one. Unique. No one like him. Eternally begotten. And this relationship of the Son and the Father, one, one uh, being, one essence, one God, three persons, we'll talk about the Spirit in a few weeks, is incredibly important to our confession. That he was eternally begotten is important. Why? Because God is a relational God. Who here believes that God is love? When we say that, that, the, that God is love, that, that who he is is love, do you recognize that for us to say that love itself is in God, has existed eternally in God, the Trinity shows us how this could be. I love what C.S. Lewis says about this. This is a long quote, but it's so good. I'm just gonna share it with you and 
Buckle in. It says this. All sorts of people are fond of repeating the Christian statement that God is love. But they seem not to notice that the words God is love have no real meaning unless God contains at least two persons. Love is something that one person has for another person. If God was a single person, then before the world was made, look at this, he was not love. The living dynamic activity of love has been going on in God forever and has created everything else. See, there's this false understanding that when God created us, he needed us. That when God created us, like he needed someone, something to love. We do believe we were created from love, but we, part of our confession is that God has been existing in eternity in love perfectly pictured in the dance of the Trinity. So when we, when we say and confess that we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, he's eternally begotten, but hear this, he is begotten, not made. He is begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. We believe that Christ himself, the Son of God, is begotten. There's this relationship of the Father and the Son, but he is not made. There wasn't, we, would, we would disagree with Arius, who said there was a time when he was not. We would say, no, Christ has existed in eternity as the Son of God. It says this in John 1, 2. It says, he was in the beginning with God, verse 2. This word for with Really cool. You see, there's different types of being with people. Right now, we are all with each other. Sitting in pews, worshiping God. You may be with your loved one, holding hands, walking on a beach. But there's this other kind of with that's, that in this with, it's talking about a face-to-face relationship. Have you ever sat and stared at someone face-to-face? should try that sometime it's a little awkward here when we say in the beginning was the word and the word was with God that with is that kind of with and it's not uncomfortable it's perfect and beautiful and so when we confess this Nicene Creed we are saying to those who have had these false understandings of God There are people that would say, well, Jesus is great. People that would read John 1, and they would just make a little tweak. They would say, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and then they add one little letter. They say, and the word was a God. Our Jehovah's Witness friends, our Mormon friends, they would make Christ a little less. And we would say that this is missing out on the power and the truth of the story of Scripture. He's not less than. In your reading plan, you're going to read from Colossians 1.15 that helps state this. Look at what it says. This is talking about Christ and his preeminence. It says, he, Christ, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn, that word for firstborn, is not about begotten, it's about his being an heir. 
It's about him having the, 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 all that, that, that a son is given in the air, the firstborn. It's about those rights. It says he is the firstborn of all creation. For by him, hear this, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created, listen to this, through him and for him. He is, Christ is, before all things, and in him all things hold together. Does that sound like just a little child just waiting on the sidelines for his time to go? As we think about who Jesus is, as we say what a beautiful name it is, it doesn't just start in the incarnation. He has been existing in eternity. Christ himself said this. In John 14, his, one of his disciples, Philip, asked him, you know, help us see the Father. And Jesus said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. We see this mystery. We see this beautiful, powerful word. And in Colossians, we see the author of Colossians, Paul, tell us, he tells us here, that Christ wasn't just, it wasn't like in creation there was like the Father creating and he was sitting on the sidelines and waiting for the day that he gets to go into the game on Christmas. It says that he was the Word. So when we go back in the beginning and it tells us and the Spirit was hovering over the waters, we know what that's talking about when it says that, the, that, that God was creating and how was he creating through his word. John is telling us that is Christ himself. He is the word being proclaimed. He is the creating power. Do you see this? And as we, if you remember last year and you've been with us for more than a year or so, we went through the Old Testament and we got to see time and time again where we see the Logos, the word of God, being, being given to the people and he comes in revelation and he comes in prophecy and he comes in a burning bush and he comes as an angel of the Lord and we see throughout, throughout the story that the son is a part of the story. And there's power in that. This beautiful relationship here. Begotten, not made of one being with the Father. Finally, through him all things were made. Through him all things were made. Look at verse three. And, uh, verse, uh, three. It says, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. We see this beautiful power in the name of Jesus, in the powerful name of Jesus, of the Logos. In our reading plan, we're gonna read from Hebrews 1, the whole chapter, I just wanna read a couple of verses that says, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through him, also, he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. 
After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Do you see this? Do you see the power of the Son? Do you see his presence here? So as we think about this, as we think about as a people of God, what does this mean? It's this. Jesus is, Jesus always has been, always will be the unstoppable word of God. Say that with me. The unstoppable word of God. Tell the person next to you, Christ is unstoppable. Look at what it says in verse four. Look at what John is telling us here. He says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. It says the light shines in the darkness, and what? The darkness has not overcome it. Unstoppable. Church, when you just can't, who can? Church, when you just don't, who did? Hear this, the unstoppable, the unstoppable word of God, Christ himself. Light shines in darkness, and when light shines in darkness, it pushes back the darkness. It does not say sometimes, it does not say maybe, it says the darkness cannot overcome it. The question that we have together today How will you respond? It's one thing to say we believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. How do those words go from speaking to our heart? How do they go from understanding that Christ himself, the unstoppable, begotten word of God, has something for me. Here's what I would say. When you just can't, speak it. Perhaps as you think about some things that you just can't, I think there's value in just speaking it. I think there's value in just saying we believe this. I'm reminded of an interaction of Christ our Lord with this man that was desperate for his healing for his daughter. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. And I just know for many of us here, we may be in a space right now where I just can't. And the gospel says, welcome to the family Christ did. Welcome to the family he can. And there's something about articulating. That's why we sing these songs every single time, these gospel-filled songs that are not so much about I can, but he can, he did, he does, he will. And so when you can't speak it, if you don't know what to speak, maybe memorize this creed and just say that. Maybe say, I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. By the way, next week is gonna be even more fun because we get to get into the incarnation. 
Bring a seatbelt. But also, what about when you don't? You could, but you didn't. When you don't, hear this, receive it. When you can't speak it, when you don't, receive it. I find it fascinating, oftentimes, for many of us, we have this thing called the imposter syndrome, where we think, you know what, the things that I've done, the things that I've said, I've committed the unpardonable sin. Think about what we just confessed earlier. The Son of God, the Logos, the Almighty Word, the one who has existed in eternity, who spoke into existence, the very Word of God, what did he do for our sin? What did he do for that thing that I think is too far? How far did he go for that? It's right behind me, a giant cross. The Son of God dying on a cross for my sins, and I think, oh man, that's not good enough. I'm too far gone. I keep falling in this cycle, and even though I've repented and I've confessed, I keep doing this. Church, the gospel says Jesus can, and Jesus did, and he is continuing to do a work in his people. We call this sanctification. Our confession is he did. In our Celebrate Recovery, there's this prayer that I love to pray every time. I think it kind of speaks. It's called the serenity prayer. Beautiful. It says this. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting all things I'm sorry, taking this world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that you will make all things right uh, if I surrender to your will. Hear this, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Speak it, receive it. Don't live with our, our, with our hands closed. We are a people, the gospel, as Mike said, is a gospel guarantee. We are a people with open hands as a sign of our open hearts. So as we receive this together, as we confess this creed together with the church that has been confessing this for 1,700 years, as we sing of the Lamb of God, I encourage you, in those moments when you just can't, just take a deep breath and enjoy the Savior who can. In those moments when you just don't, just take a deep breath and pray to the Savior who did. Repent, turn from sin, by his work on the cross and live in the rest 
of the Savior. Amen? You pray with me. Lord, we believe. That song that we sang has just been in my mind this entire sermon, God. We believe. And God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. And we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, God's only Son, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. We believe. Jesus, we believe that you can and you did, and I pray, Lord, in this moment for each of us, we may be in a space, there may be some things in our lives that we need to trust you with, that we need to give to you. There may be some sin in our life that we need to confess, repent from, and turn to you. There may be some things where we just feel we just can't. Lord, I pray we could rest that you can. I pray, Lord, as we, your gathered church here in person and everybody watching online, as we sing to the almighty God, I pray that this would be a time of us confessing our faith in the holy Lamb of God who's done it all. And we pray this together in the powerful name of Jesus Christ and all God's children say together. Amen.